Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Sirius A, not Sirius B. Who are Tia, huh? Yeah, hey. Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night for Living Geek, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness in the different world in which we live. I'm your host, Taylor, and across from the virtual desk to me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Just trying to uh, survive the heat in this uh, these dog days of summer. Um, yeah. Try to keep from melting, try to keep from breathing in too much, you know, wildfire smoke, that kind of stuff. Yeah, there there have been uh, a couple of rather large wildfires. In fact, I think, I think a new one's just broke up in the northern part of the state. Are you getting a lot of smoke in your area? Today, not so much, but it's been, this past week, there's been some days where it's been, 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 been noticeable. Pretty bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. We haven't noticed all that much down here toward mm. the Bay Area. Okay. Um, it, it's been, you know, thin, if anything, so mm. far. It's been a, not a lot of... Um, airflow in the direction from the fires toward us which is i mean at least for us thankful Mm, for that but yeah it has been the weather's been a little strange in the sense that we've kind of just had this very steady like high 80s low 90s kind of just this very small sine wave of temperatures just going up and down and up and down Mm -hmm. so yeah it's uh it's been odd oh anyway um things are things are going well here we're starting to get geared up for the the school year Mm -hmm. uh wife starts back shortly and the the kids will be in the i think the third and fourth weeks of august okay so it is ever closer yeah ever closer but that's i don't know Everybody kind of says, you know, if we just had one more month of summer, Ooh. I'd feel more rest, you know. Oh, for sure. Um, and I get that. I totally get that. So hats off to all you teachers out there who are getting ready for your school years to fire up. Here, here. May they not actually fire <laughs> up to start up. Definitely. Anywho. Anywho. Man, yeah, that's right. It is August. Um, and I don't know about you, Seb, but uh, I I had some weird stuff in July. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about it. Tell our, our viewers. Okay, so literally on the 1st of July, on the day that our last episode dropped, I had a very, very strange series of synchronicities. Um, so there's... For starters, there's a lot of VW accounts, VW-related accounts um, that I follow on, like, Instagram friends who are in the scene Mm. and, you know, have cars and stuff. And um, uh, one of them um, posted the Amalgamated Flying Saucers Club, sorry, Saucer Clubs of America um, bus from, like, late 1958, maybe 59. Hmm. I feel like we talked about it. This was the uh, uh, AFSCA was the one started by Gabe Green. Right. He had like run for president and stuff mm-hmm. as like like the the UFO candidate basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and either either he or his vice president basically had a an old um, palm green sand green 
like 1957 uh, bus that they had painted logos on the side. Groovy. Complete with a, an Adamski-style saucer. Okay. Um, and drove it up here to the Bay Area for a flying saucer convention mm. at the Alameda County Fairgrounds over here in Pleasant. Oh, wow. And they, there's a picture from one of their newsletters uh, of it parked up by the Golden Gate Bridge. Nice. Right? Uh, and that was something that I saw... Um, Many, many months ago, thanks to uh, the Saucer Life podcast, okay. uh, where the host of that had shared a picture of it. And I, I lost my mind. I'm like, mm-hmm. I love old VW buses with logos on them. Mm-hmm. So to see one with UFO mm-hmm. related ones, I got even more excited. So this 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 account the guy lives in the, the like the, the southern southern Bay Area, like Morgan Hill, Gilroy, mm-hmm. right? um, and, and shared this picture. And I was like, oh, my God, I just, I just messaged him like right away. I was like, I totally know about that bus. I've got, you know, this and that and just started explaining all this stuff. And I, you know, it's like, I was kind of trying to figure out like where it may have ended up. He's like, Oh, that would be so cool Mm. to find it. Uh, And so, yeah, got into a really long discussion with him about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if nothing else was like, man, that would be a really fun, like logo to recreate. Right. On a bus, um, because you know everybody is like, oh, it's you know it's a it's a, a a bakery, it's a donut shop, it's a parts store. It's like okay, it's a UFO club. <laughs> like, you know that that would stand out. Right, That'd be really cool. <clears throat> so as that is happening, um, uh, guy, I would go so far as to say a friend, and now also a fan of the show, AP Strange, over on Twitter, uh, reached out, having listened to our last episode mm. uh, about the 1977 Ashtar Command um, mm. transmission that kind of broke through on British television. Yeah. Um, and was uh, uh, basically like, hey, if you guys ever want to talk just about, like, this transmission Mm -hmm. and there was actually one earlier in 1971 Mm. and he kind of told me a little bit about it sent me like a transcript of it he's like i've studied this like really thoroughly that's really fascinating he's like if you guys ever want to talk about it i would love to come on the show and i was like i think that would be great that'd be great yeah i think that'd be so much fun Mm -hmm. um so like all of that i just had this big swell Mm -hmm. Of stuff happened, like, on the day that our last episode dropped. Mm. Um, and admittedly, I've had a couple of other things kind of throughout the month, because I've been re-watching, like, the first season of Hellier to get ready for next month. Mm-hmm. And there's there's always, you know, every time you watch it, you just get these, these extra little things kind of filter through, and you're like, ooh, what about this? Ooh, what about that? Mm-hmm. Um, but we will talk more about that next month. And I think we've decided the two months after that, this is going to be a three- oh, yes. <laughs> month look we've just decided to break it up five episodes five episodes five episodes Mm -hmm. uh i think that's just going to make the most sense because there's going to be so much to talk about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now enough about me seb what weird happened to you last month well i'll have to tell you it was a pretty normal month up until the very end when okay so we were either end of the month here right i'm at the beginning you're at the end okay exactly the book ends nice symmetry there yeah. Um, I actually bumped into an old coworker who's now an assistant professor of history at the University of Missouri. Oh, okay. And he studies and did his PhD thesis in, of all things, industrial meat production. So anything oh. related to cattle or beef, that kind of thing, you know? Okay, okay. Um, and I, you know, 
he and I were joking around, and I, I mentioned how you and I had discussed uh, in a previous episode, I believe episode seven, um, the theory uh, that some cattle mutilations might be undercover testing for contamination relating to Project Gas Buggy, which, uh, if our right. listeners might remember, was a federal program of using underground nuclear explosions to fracture strata and thus release natural gas for commercial yep. uh, gas drilling. And my, when I mentioned this just offhandedly as a joke, and my old co-worker's face just lit up, and he was silent for a second. Really? And, and he told me that he happens to be an acquaintance of an academic who's one of the country's leading authorities on nuclear fracking, that very topic, that very um, issue. Um, Interesting. Which was just a really crazy coincidence, really crazy synchronicity. Um, huh. So I'm definitely going to have to uh, maybe follow up that lead and uh, see where it leads, I guess. That, 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 would, that would be interesting just to see if there really is kind of anything to that. Definitely. Uh, if they know anything. No kidding. Yeah. So interesting. That was, so that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. That was fun. Um, also had a lot of fun um, looking briefly on Ancestry.com for any of Gabriel Green's potential descendants to see where that bus may have ended up. Um, yeah. Found out that his birth name was was actually kind of interesting, and it was had a very kind of like like Rast, like Rastafarian feel to it, which I thought. Oh was, yeah, it did. Yeah, I can't remember what it was it, off the top of my head. It, now. His his like, I think his his first name was like Kingston or something like that, or something like that. Yeah. 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 So that was pretty. Cool. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about that. We got to find that bus, man. It's probably in some barn somewhere, you know? Oh, God. I hope. <laughs> I mean, statistically, probably not. You think it's been crunched? I I mean, again, statistically, probably, yeah. Okay. Well. Probably, yeah. Just to be realistic about it, but it's fun to dream. A boy can dream. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, yes, totally, totally would. Uh, especially because the the closer I looked at that picture, like, I had a really kind of a high-quality scan mm. of it. Like, I could see certain identifying marks because that paint job was only available for, I think, four years. Is it a color image or black and white? It's a black and white image. Mm. Okay. But it's most buses that are two-tone mm. have a lighter color on top and a darker mm. color on bottom. Mm -hmm. This model was the only instance where a darker color was available on top and a lighter color on bottom. Ah. So even in a black and white photo, you can tell what it was. Right. Okay. Um, but then I could see like the fact that the um, the taillights had small reflectors mounted underneath them. Those were only available on two years. So that immediately narrowed it down mm. to, I think, like 56 or 57 instead of like 58 or 59. And it's just, mm. you know, you start noticing these little details when you really start kind of kind of nerding out on it. The forensics like, oh, of it, yeah. yeah completely. Yeah, completely, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Totally. Well, before we dive into our topic for this month, um, I, I think it's worth saying, since we are on our road to Hellier, um, that there have recently been some catastrophic flooding mm. in eastern Kentucky and, and surrounding areas. It's not just been that uh, part of the country, but, um, you know, the area that we're about to focus all our intention, intention ooh, that too, <laughs> and attention on... Mm. Um, has has seen some just horrible, horrible flooding. Um, there's been loss of life. There's been lots and lots of loss of property. You know, roads and bridges and such have been damaged. Mm. Um, and as such, our, our thoughts and our hearts go out to the people of that area. Um, and we'd like to take an opportunity to encourage you, if you are in a position to, uh, if you are capable of doing so, making a donation to the recovery efforts. Um, 
in that part of the country to help those people out because um, a lot of what we've been talking about and are going to talk about um, has only been possible because we've become aware of that that part of the country mm-hmm. um, and that those um, small small communities uh, out there so I will I'll look for a couple of um, resources in that area and toss them in the show notes mm-hmm. um, just to see what we can do to, to help those people out excellent yeah yeah. Well, on our road to Hellier, we've come across all manner of communications from the phenomena. Uh, just last month, we looked at Robert Short and his communications with Corton. Uh, but this manner of simply reaching a higher vibration and naturally tuning into the space being seems to happen less and less. Is it a matter of all the technology we interact with on a daily basis disrupting that vibration? Uh, have we advanced so far in science that when contact is made naturally, we dismiss it as something else? I don't know. But regardless, of the answer. This month, we're going to look at some of the technology and the methods used today to make contact with the phenomena. If you've already seen Hellier, you're probably familiar with these. If you haven't, this can serve as your primer and maybe even inspire you to get some of this equipment and try it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the last things I have to admit I added to the show note um, is going to be the first thing that I mentioned on here is um, intention. Hmm. Uh, what do you mean by that? I, I, I mean by by literally kind of setting yourself down, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, in, in a space, uh, in a situation, whatever, and and kind of, you know, taking a few minutes to breathe and calm yourself and tune out all the other distractions of the world, because Lord knows there's lots of them mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. um, and kind of setting... And intention, speaking out, I mean, that's at least how I would do it. I suppose you could do it mentally just as easily. Um, You know, hey, you know, here's why I'm here. I'm hoping to talk to anyone, anything, you know, kind of putting out that 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 desire basically that that intent of why you're doing what you're doing i think getting yourself into that mindset before just being like hey let's just grab this tool and turn it on and see what happens yeah i I think Uh, i think it's really important i I think you're i think you're exactly right i i think you could almost even boil it down to just maybe good manners i mean if we if we well yeah if, if we accept the reality of these disembodied entities existing i mean if you think of a human to human conversation you might want to before you just start randomly talking maybe just say you know introduce yourself and you Mm -hmm. know small talk or something like that you know rather than just jumping straight into a a a big conversation i would suppose um yeah yeah i think that's i think that's a good point yes good manners (laughs) be be nice don't don't yell at (laughs) right don't yell at aliens uh, or ultra-terrestrials (laughs) right right be polite because who knows what they can do right (laughs) totally (laughs) so (laughs) And taking taking that, one of the, the first basic tools that we want to look at is what's called the SB7 Spirit Box. Mm. I think there's even an SB11 now that has more features, but I'm not as familiar mm. with that one as I am the SB7. Um, so the SB7, is, is it's kind of the evolution of an old um, mod called the Shack Hack, mm. uh, where people, and I've done this, I actually still have it. Mm. Um, they they take a uh, an existing... Um, Radio Shack brand radio, and you you clip a single wire um, that, like, if you would hit the scan button on the radio, mm-hmm. you know, it'd scan through, and when it found a signal strong enough, it would stop and tune to that station. Right. Well, if you clip the wire that controls that circuit, 
it's just going to continually scan. Mm. And it was, if I remember right, it's something like a tenth of a second per station, or maybe even a quarter of a second per station. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't used this old one in a long, long time, but I just also never got rid of it. Um, and so the SP7 kind of builds on that basic technology, um, and so now with this and it's i tell you you seb got me an yes. sb7 for christmas in 2019 was it 2019 wow it yeah. was it was because it was just before the pandemic hit okay because i had all these ideas of like oh i'm going to use it and i'm going to go places in lockdown right oh okay <laughs> um and so one of the first things that i noticed about it is that it's way smaller than i thought it was oh really okay it's very very handheld it's nice you know telescoping antenna on it mm. um but it's great because you can choose am or fm okay uh you can choose your sweep rate you know oh, do i i want a tenth of a second per station okay right or i want uh, uh two tenths of a second per station i think all the way up to half a second mm. per station which believe it or not in talking a lot can be said uh by a person in half a second so so just just to see if i if i understand the concept correctly yeah so if i'm if we take the the example of a car radio, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm listening to the radio in the car, mm-hmm. and it's scanning through the stations. And as I scan through the stations, looking for something to listen to, I'm going to hear bits of songs, bits of commercials, bits of news stories. Just you know, as I depending upon how quickly my finger's hitting the button to switch channels, I'm hearing uh, in, increasingly small, small cl- clips of these little words, these little syllables. Right. And the the theory is that if you can flip through these channels quick enough, you're not going to be able to discern actual words or sentences. But at, on certain occasions, people do report that disembodied voices will come through saying intelligible words or even intelligible sentences, right? Mm-hmm. And, this, and, 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 and it sounds like this technology first started out as something that people would make in their own home, but now you can actually purchase devices that are pre-built to have this capability, the scanning capability, right? Right. Okay. That's that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So the the idea is, you know, in the time it takes for me to say the sentence you're listening to now, that was probably three seconds. Right. Okay. Um. So if you had a sweep rate of a tenth of a second, you would have covered thirty stations mm-hmm. in the time it took for me to say that sentence. Right. Um. And so the you know the the likelihood of 30 stations randomly saying an, you know enough stuff to make an intelligible sentence mm-hmm. is very low mm. so that again that's the belief is that you know when you when you hear something intelligible when you hear something coming through uh-huh. um, especially if it is a, a longer uh, thing that's coming across multiple stations mm-hmm. you know uh, that it's it's very unlikely to be those stations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I know I know some people are gonna say well it's all pareidolia it's the mind trying to make sense out of what it's hearing mm-hmm. look looking looking for meaning in random patterns basically these devices have become such a staple on the plethora of you know, quote unquote, ghost hunting television shows out mm-hmm. there. Um, it's sort of kind of like an essential piece of equipment or a tool. Um, and and I have to say, I've never I've never owned one of these devices. I've never played around with it. But um, there have been episodes of some of these ghost hunting shows that I've seen where sometimes they'll play a clip of something where I'm like, 
that sort of sounds like what they say, but um, occasionally, you know, there will be an episode where what's being presented, what's coming through the machine, it's either proof of the reality of this or proof that the show, the television producers are just totally fabricating it because it's so clear. <laughs> it's such a long sentence over so many channels. Right. That, that's the stuff that I really find interesting. I feel like a spirit box would be, for however much I would want to see a UFO or a Bigfoot, um, it, it seems like a spirit box would be the device that would give me the best chance of having some sort of experiment just because I could use it at will, you know, or let it run as long as I want, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the nice things, you can you can actually choose it to either sweep forward. You can either have it sweep up the band mm-hmm. or, or down. You can you can change the direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I think you're right. But I think that's also one of the problems with, you know, seeing this on ghost hunting shows is you've you've got, you know, the 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 investigators, as I do air quotes, um, you know, reacting and like, dude, it just said, you know, uh, your mom mm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and in the excitement of the moment, you know, maybe the other people are like, yeah, yeah, totally did. And then, unlike the motorcycle going by, they, they <laughs> you know, they'll play that sound back with text on the screen. So, of course, what that's doing to your brain mm-hmm. is you're seeing that text, you're hearing that sound, and it's it's almost kind of forcing you to accept that that's exactly what it's at. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, a lot of you times... You know where I'm going with this? Yeah, a lot of times it seems like when a person uses this device and communicates with these entities for lack of a better word, um, it's usually in a question or answer format. So the, 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 the person will say, you know, what is your name? And then something will come through. And maybe because you've heard that question as the viewer of the TV show, or maybe somebody even just standing in the room, you're predisposed to anticipate hearing something that's going to sound like a name when maybe it's really another word or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. You know, you may land on a station that you know, as it's sweeping is talking about, you know, uh, a debt reduction plan and you hear, uh, all you manage to hear is the word Bill. Right. Oh, its name is Bill. Right, right. Right. Um, so. <laughs> I, I mean, I would be very, I mean, uh, back in the 1980s, there was a series of television commercials for a toy line called Micro Machines hosted yes. by a voice actor whose name escapes me now, but I think he had a world record for the fastest speaking time he absolutely did i would never trust any spirit box that had a voice that sounded like his because that guy could talk so fast oh my god it was just like i'm sure it's just like a micro machine commercial or something Um, absolutely where would you love to use your spirit box that you own that i got you for christmas gift is there a particular Um, place you'd love to bust it out or Oh my gosh. You know, and the thing is I have busted it out a few few times mm. just like I, you know, bring it with me to work because I wanted to just fiddle around with it. Mm. Um, but the thing is anytime I would pull it out and turn it on and pop the headphones in, I'm sitting in front of my computer. I'm sitting in mm. front of my monitors. I'm sitting in front of basically this giant electromagnetic field. Right. You know, so it's it's not something where I would sit there and kind of expect to get anything mm. from it. But but naturally, you kind of, you know, you, you get kind of used to that. Sound uh, as it's going along. And so where would I like to bust it out? That's I mean, 
I don't know. I'm trying to think like, I mean, there's any number of like, you know, cool haunted places I'd love to go if I could just go anywhere in the country. But I mean, I think of anything close mm-hmm. by. Um, I mean, I'd love to take it up to the, um, oh my gosh, I forget the name of it, but it was basically like, a, I think a boys reformatory up in Ione, Preston, California. Pre- Preston School of Industry? That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. Preston. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm like, I drove past there just like last month as we were going to go camping. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why. I can't remember the name of it. Preston. That's it. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, it's it's close. I'm kind of familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I I know I know our friend and uh, publisher of Paranoia Magazine, Olaf Phillips, he's been in, like, downtown Columbia mm-hmm. in, in the middle of the night. Mm, nice and and heard thing very cool you know i'm like oh that that would be interesting to to be in a place like that i'd 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 even be curious to go back up to where we went camping in coloma get it go up in that setter's mill yeah totally area and see if there's anything you know i mean you could at the same time you could bust it out in a hotel that's a very liminal space i'm thinking the national hotel in nevada city yes oh my gosh that would be great that would be great Totally. That's a that's a very very cool building. That's for sure. That would be on my list. <laughs> very cool. That would be on my list. But but the thing is, how do you take the SB7 and and move away from what you're seeing in a lot of these overproduced ghost shows mm-hmm. and, and and turn it into a more reliable tool? Mm-hmm. And and that's where we get the Estes method. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Estes method, you know, I think this probably is just a, a good place to play a clip from season one, episode three of Hellier, where, where Carl goes and kind of describes mm-hmm. how the Estes method came about. Because um, it was developed by he and Connor Randall. Um, and, you know, they their, their rationale and their explanation of, you know, taking the SB7 and not modifying it, but modifying kind of how you interact with it mm. uh, does a much, much better job of uh, maybe creating a more reliable tool of communication. Mm. So let's 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 hear what Carl has to say. Mm. Connor puts on a pair of very noise-canceling drummer headphones. Uh, And he pipes in a spirit box feed. Now, a spirit box is a controversial device in ghost hunting, where it scans through these radio stations, very high rates of speed. You are going to get clips of DJ voices, commercials, uh, talk shows, especially on the AM frequencies. And so it's normal to hear voices out of them. But with all the static, with all the noise, with all the blips and bits of sound, it's very easy to kind of hear what you want to hear out of it. We created this method in order to cut the receiver off for more anticipated responses in the hopes that our conversation that he couldn't hear would line up with the responses that he's giving back. We also put a blindfold on so that there's no uh, environmental sensory influence about what that conversation is. So that if we do get some compelling responses back and forth conversationally, that is much more interesting than potential responses that we thought we heard through a noisy feed. So there you go. Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it 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 just it, it makes perfect sense to take the 
um, you know, take one person, get the not noise canceling, mm-hmm. but noise noise reducing headphones. And I think I think I've heard them say like I think the the like the the Vic Firth drummer headphones, which mm. is what what Connor's got because he's a drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it drops everything by like twenty five decibels. Okay, so you can't you can't hear what the other people in the room or in the space are saying, um, and then you kind of take that extra step of um, what sensory deprivation mm-hmm. by putting the blindfold on or the eyebrow as they like to call it <laughs> um, and, well because it seriously it looks padded so sure why not it's an eyebrow um, and and reduce all of that so you've got um, you know you've got one person who all they can hear is the spirit box mm. they can't see anything Mm-hmm. Right. They basically just sit down, ideally somewhere comfortable. At least I know I'd have to be somewhere comfortable. Uh, and the other thing that at least I've noticed is that as they're um, holding the spirit box mm-hmm. and other people are asking questions, oftentimes one hand is actually holding the metal of the antenna. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, Seb, but I remember a time when we used to try to listen to Art Bell's Dreamland on Sunday nights mm. um, using like an old boombox, mm-hmm. and we could only pick it up out of a station all the way out of Reno, Nevada. Okay, at the time, and so it, it was it was a weak signal by the time it got to the Bay Area. Mm. But it's one of those things where if you grab the antenna. Mm-hmm. of a radio you become part of the antenna right right you become part of that receiver mm-hmm. and so it would sometimes kind of increase the signal coming into the radio so that a lot of times what i see when i watch someone do an estes method session is they will one hand as they're holding it is holding on to the antenna mm, okay so so it's more of an immersive whole body uh experience mm-hmm. uh so so at that point you know, like 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 Carl was saying, if you've got people asking questions um, and the response is coming back, cause the, the job of the receiver is literally just to, you know, listen for what sounds like words mm-hmm. and just repeat them out. Right. You know, that's their only job. And, and uh, Connor himself, I, I can't remember if it was in Hellier or if it was in some live stream somewhere, described it. No, I think it was in Hellier. Um described it like fishing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know uh, fish comes along and it's like hook it pull it out say it Mm -hmm. you know and if and if it's not clearly a fish you let it keep going you're he's like you're the whole sound the whole noise experience it's like you're going down a stream Mm -hmm. and it's and it's there's a fish boom okay that's that's what it said you know or or that's what i saw or whatever um, and I think you and I can both agree that, that, you know, having, having watched Hellier a few times now, um, you know, there definitely seems to be at times, especially a conversation happening. Oh, for sure. I mean, Hellier is the first place I ever saw the Estes method. And I thought, I still think it's incredibly brilliant. It's one of my favorite parts of Hellier. I love how you take the, I mean, with that, with the spirit box, it's, it's almost like you have one human and one disembodied entity, they're having a conversation, but the one human is both the question asker and the interpreter of the answers. Whereas with the Estes message, it's a three-way kind of thing where you have 
you know, the one human who's the question asker, the one, the other human who's the message or answer interpreter, and then the, presumably the disembodied entity. The only thing that I will say that I think is the flaw in the diamond of all of this mm-hmm. is that I, I so wished that the messages heard by the person listening to the box could somehow have been recorded and maybe made available to us, the viewers, on like a Hell Your Special Edition DVD or something. Right. Because the, the I mean, with most ghost hunting shows... Us, the viewers, actually do get to hear the ch and the weird words that supposedly come through the speaker. In Hellier, we don't actually, um, with, in the Estes method incidents or experiments, we don't actually get to have that experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's the only thing that I just wish there was some... I wish that if that had been there, it would just would have been like the icing on the cake, really. But it's totally brilliant. One of my favorite parts of Hell Year, hands down. Yeah. So, so basically, you want to be able to, you know, in an example, hear what Connor's hearing and go, okay, did did I also hear him? Yeah. Say, you know, hear it. You oh know, yeah. Hear the radio say mm-hmm. what Connor's repeating, and just kind of like almost, I don't know, kind of like practice listening to an SB7 compared to someone who's done hundreds of hours. Yeah, I guess. and Doing it? I mean, I would hope there's techno... I mean, I assume that's possible from a technological point of view, I would think. I mean, I, I'm not a tech guy, but... I mean, it, it, it would make sense. I mean, if you've got, you know, if you've got your, your, your headphone jack coming out of the SB7, yeah. run it, you know, into basically a recorder first. Mm. Um, or they actually have... Um, uh, the three and a half millimeter headphone jacks that have um, like the one male end that goes into the radio mm. has two female ends coming off it. Mm. Mm-hmm. One could go to a recorder, one could go to the headphones. Right. You know, I mean, it, it wouldn't be difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a good point. That would be really curious. Um, and when we get when we get a little later into the episode about another uh, method of communication very similar to the spirit box, mm-hmm. uh, I I'll have a little something to say on being able to hear what it sounds like as someone's doing a session. But before we talk about that, mm. the next thing we want to talk about is something called the Gansfeld experiment. Mm, the Gansfeld experiment. Yes. <laughs> What a great name. That, that, that just sounds dastardly, <laughs> the way you say it. I know. Heaven. Right. Wow. So Gansfeld is German for entire field. Hmm. Um, but in a typical Gansfeld experiment, um, a uh, again, a receiver, right, mm-hmm. uh, is placed in a uh, room. They're relaxing in a comfortable chair. Mm-hmm. And here's the fun part. They've got a ping pong ball that's been cut in half. So they've got half a ping pong ball <laughs> over each eye, um, typically taped down. Okay. Um, using, you know, like medical grade tape, not duct tape, probably not painter's tape, <laughs> you know, uh, scotch tape in a desperate moment. But anyway, um, and, and they have a, a, a red light that they're either quote unquote looking into or having, you know, shown on. Them, okay. Right? Um, so now here's the part that I don't know. And I've, I've, I've always wanted to ask, and I, I've just have never asked anyone who's done it. Uh-huh. Are your eyes closed under the ping pong balls? Oh, good question. Open? Yeah, yeah, that's a good I, I, I imagine they're closed because yeah. even, like, right now, I've got my little, like, neon 
on-air sign okay. turned on. Now, if I close my eyes and I kind of look in the direction of that, mm-hmm. right, it's it's red and white mm. in color. So I imagine if it was a more intense red and it was closer to my face, even with my eyes closed, mm-hmm. I would kind of get, get some of that wavelength uh, through my closed eyes. Right, through the eyelids, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, again, not sure. I'm guessing they're closed. I could be wrong. Huh. It may just be more relaxing that way. Okay. Anyway, so the receiver also wears a set of headphones through which um, white or even sometimes what's called pink noise, just static, uh, is played. So the receiver is in the state of mild sensory deprivation for oftentimes about a half an hour. It's hmm. kind of, I've seen them, I think I've seen some Ganfeld's, Gansfeld experiments go up to 45 minutes. It kind of just depends on, you know, how how successful the mm-hmm. session is going. If, if it seems like things are kind of tapering off or the receiver's getting tired, obviously that's a good reason. That's a good time to stop. Mm. Now, typically what happens if you, like, let's say, Seb, you and I were hanging out one time and we're like, dude, let's totally try Gansfeld. Right. Right? So typically what it would do is... Um, a sender would observe a randomly chosen target and basically try to mentally transmit the details of that object of that place of whatever it is mm. into the mind of the receiver. Okay. All right. Now with respect to Hellier, the Gansfeld, uh, experiment employed doesn't necessarily rely on a sender being a member of the team okay right the phenomena is the sender right um and the experiment is sometimes deployed often actually i've seen it quite a few times after an estes session kind of like makes contact and kind of like starts that conversation Mm. so to speak um and and so kind of like using that gansfeld kind of like once that that you know i'm going to use the term once that vibration is kind of up there you know, um, I think about I think about the uh, the time Greg does it in the train tunnel mm. in the last episode of the first season, and he kind of almost has what starts to feel like an abduction experience, right? You know, um, and then it stops mostly because the white noise thing that they've got pumped into his headphone hangs up. Mm-hmm. Like, like the app stalls out right. um, and kind of breaks that that whole thing. There have been other times where I've seen, uh, I see a train. I see a train going down a track. It's a big diesel train. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you live in such a interesting area, Seb. Yeah, sir. very noisy. <laughs> of course, right now, right now you don't hear all the mail being sorted, oh. <laughs> you know, uh, at the at the post office near you. So um, oftentimes I've also seen a Gansfeld experiment done a few days after a God Helmet session. We'll talk about the God Helmet in a moment. Mm. Um, but one of the things the God Helmet's supposed to do is supposed to heighten, late, heighten excuse me, latent psychic abilities. Mm. So you take that into a Gansfeld experiment and, you know, you've already kind of like really pumped up that vibration. Um, and that's had some very interesting Mm-hmm. Uh, responses as well. Um, I have, I mean, I'll throw it out there because I know some people own um, VR goggles, mm-hmm. right? They've got like an Oculus or something. Um, I have seen people um, try to use uh, that kind of a headset with kind of just a red light kind of pumped into it uh, rather than any sort of multi sensory experience uh, to kind of. Uh, 
do the same thing that having the ping pong balls and the and the red light oh, interesting. would do. I'm sure there's a few ways to do it. I mean, I'm I'm you know we've got we've got someone in the household here who does a lot of 3D printing and a lot of designing of of parts and stuff for uh-huh. a lot of these machines. I'm sure you could 3D print something that you know maybe would fit over your eyes with a strap and would you know, take the place of the ping pong ball. Well, actually, So you're not taping your face every single time. I don't know. That, 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 that's a good point because I was going to follow up with a question. Would you be willing to make a promise to the listeners of our show tonight that if you ever did do a Gansfeld experiment with ping pong balls cut in half on your eyeballs, yep. would you promise to at least take a Sharpie and to make big uh, pupils on the ping pong balls before you tape them to your head? Personally, yes. I, ab- <laughs> I absolutely would. <laughs> I have I have watched plenty of Gansfeld experiments where I'm like, you know what, uh, you guys you guys really need to like put some sort of like goofy looking like pupils I know. on these ping pong balls. I don't know why people don't do that more. I, I don't either. Um, yeah, I'm all for that. I would love. I mean, I would love to try um, a Gansfeld experiment sometime. I do too. Um, and I, I I honestly think the the phenomenon has a sense of humor. Yes. Um, you wholeheartedly know, agree on that so i don't know i'm just throwing that out there but anyway um wow yeah i mean that would be that would be that would be an experiment it's like do you get a better response from the phenomena if you're doing something goofy with your ping pong balls right rather than just leaving them blank yeah i don't know Interesting. you know and the best part is that one of the best places I've been able to find ping pong balls is actually in the beer and wine section of your local grocery store. <laughs> for, be- for beer pong or whatever it's called? Yes. Oh, no. Exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm, I am not joking. The first time that <laughs> I walked through like like a Safeway uh-huh. and, you know, had to turn down the beer aisle to get to something else. And they had, you know, you, they've got like the little pegs every now and then. And they've like, here are these little items you might also need to go with like, you know, your cooking utensils or, you know, here's a bunch of like bendy straws. Oh, or whatever. And it was like, here's red cups, here's ping pong balls oh, in no. the beer aisle. And I was like, damn, <laughs> somebody got a raise because of this, I bet. The beer pong Gansfeld experiment. I like it. You know what? If nothing else, you know, you need to unwind after a good Gansfeld experiment. And you've got a nice, I don't know, nice lager candy or or a a porter. Definitely not an IPA because those are gross. Um, Anyway. Anyway. It's funny. Yeah. So the other, another... um, Another tool, one that we just mentioned, one that, another one that I would love mm. to try just because it is so out there, is what's commonly referred to as the God Helmet. Mm. Um, now, this, this, is a, this is a really interesting one, and it, and it looks really weird. Because <laughs> the it, God Helmet, yeah. it's an experimental apparatus originally called the Corin Helmet after its inventor, Stanley Corin. Uh, it was developed by him and neuroscientist Michael Persinger uh, to study creativity, religious experience, the effects of subtle stimulation of the temporal lobes. Mm. I like having my lobes uh, <laughs> stimulated, apparently. Whoa. Uh, hey, Hello, now. hey now. Hey now. Oh, boy. Um, so it got the name of the God Helmet because um, participants reported... Um, basically like having almost 
kind of this like having a sensed presence around them while wearing the god helmet yeah um they they've they've been able to basically kind of stimulate that feeling of like like a uh, like a religious experience like seeing god basically kind of thing yeah i mean from what i've read that you know people it ranged everything from just feeling an uneasy feeling that somebody else was in the room with him to all the way to people believing that they've witnessed you know had a vision of God or the divine or have seen, you know, deceased loved ones in the room, all sorts of amazing things. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I think, I think it is again, and I'm saying this as someone who's not experienced this tool firsthand. Um, I think again, it's, it's one of those things that like whatever intention you have with you, mm. you know, whether it is externalized mm-hmm. or whether it's just something you're carrying with you. Mm. Right. You know, like maybe you recently have been thinking of a lost loved one Mm. and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go in and, you know, do this experiment, get my 15 bucks for helping out science or whatever. Mm. And because you kind of have that, not maybe not in the forefront of your mind, but recently there, Mm -hmm. this amplified. Mm. But anyway, the um, the device itself has been used in Persinger's research in the field of uh, neurotheology, Mm -hmm. the study of the purported neural connections of religion and spirituality. Uh, I I'll be completely upfront. A lot of these descriptions I got off Wikipedia and then kind of fleshed out with mm. other stuff just to give credit where credit's due. Um, the apparatus, it's, it's placed on the head of an experimental subject and it generates a very weak magnetic field. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's fields, I should say. Um, and like, like other neural stimulation with low intensity magnetic fields, these fields are approximately as strong as those generated by a landline telephone, mm. right? Um, which... Does anybody have those anymore? Um, or your typical hairdryer, okay. right? It's it's not much. It's far weaker than that of an ordinary refrigerator magnet and about a million times weaker than a transcranial magnetic stimulation, which I don't think I've ever experienced. Um, but what's critical to it is what are called chirp signals. Okay. Um, this is a... Uh, like a very particular firing order of the magnets. Okay. And that's done through a very specific piece of software. Now, strangely enough, some people have tried to basically make their own. Mm. And oftentimes they're not using the right magnets and they definitely don't have this chirp signal software and honestly are probably doing more harm to their brain good. Uh Um, So yeah, this is definitely one of those situations where it's like, no, you want to use the genuine (laughs) article or none at all. Kids, don't Um, try this at home. (laughs) Yeah, we're what you call... No, sorry. We've been watching a lot of Mythbusters here lately. (laughs) Uh, Anyway... Uh, so, you know, we've actually, we've got a little bit of audio from mm. a, uh, uh, a BBC documentary that you found, mm-hmm. um, that has, uh, Corn and Persinger and I guess the, the host, the narrator kind of talking about the God helmet and, and, and some of the experiences that, that people have had with it. So why don't we give that a listen real quick? The fundamental experience is the sense presence. And our data indicate that the sensed presence, the feeling of another entity, of something beyond yourself, perhaps bigger than yourself, bigger in space and bigger in time, can be stimulated by simply activating the right hemisphere, particularly the temporal lobe. To ensure that it was genuinely the electromagnetic field that caused the sensed presence, 
Dr. Persinger ran the experiment with the field switched both off and on. Crucially, no one was told what the true purpose of the experiment was, merely that it was to do with relaxation. When the results came back, they were impressive. When the machine was on, 80% sensed something. Dr. Persinger has taken his research a stage further. He believes naturally occurring electromagnetic fields might also be capable of generating the sensed presence. This, he argues, could explain not just our sense of God, but perhaps other supernatural experiences too, like ghosts. See, I found that interesting because, you know, even even the host kind of talks about, you know, how this may kind of connect to and not maybe not necessarily explain, you know, certain aspects of the paranormal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because I, I think if you, you know, I mean, he's passed away now, but I think, but I mean, if you could have asked Dr. Persinger, or I mean, I guess we could ask him, presumably, with some of the equipment we're talking about tonight. Hey, um, there you go. It, I mean, from what I know about his research, his his whole idea was that, you know, geomagnetic forces, electromagnetism that's naturally occurring or, you know, being created by artificial technology and devices can, in some instances, when it's interacting with a person's brain, um, cause what we know as religious experience or experience of haunting or mm-hmm. even, you know, perhaps um, UFO sightings. He, I mean, he had a very, he thought that this phenomenon, this uh, interaction of the brain, electromagnetism could explain away basically in scientific terms, all paranormal experience. If I'm, if I'm understanding his p- position correctly. However, I think for, for, for the purposes of investigators like the folks in Hellier or you know, people that are interested in the paranormal like ourselves. I mean, it seems like potentially, you know, what Persinger is saying could be taken in another way. I mean, the sensed presence that people that wear the God helmet report. I mean, you could say perhaps the stimulation of the temporal lobes isn't tricking the users into thinking that there is another entity present, but maybe the stimulation itself makes users aware of real disembodied entities that are otherwise completely hidden. Yeah. You know? I no, I'm 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 right there with you. I mean, yeah. This is this is the whole reason why we we talked you know um, not too long ago about uh, what's called the Schumann resonance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where there are are different um, natural frequencies, right. um, and they're all about <coughs> roughly I think seven hertz apart. Okay. I think it's seven, fourteen, and change, and then like twenty one, mm-hmm. um, and and how it's actually referred to as different orders and that 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 21 uh hertz i think it's hertz i don't think it's megahertz um me and technical jargon boy you'd think i'd be better at this given my job anyway um is is literally called the third order uh third order schumann resonance um I, I would go so far based on, on what I've seen people 
Um, not so much my own direct experience, but I, I would go so far as to say that this God helmet stimulates the brain in such a way as to raise that frequency to that same level huh. um, and and allow that sensed presence, which I think you're right. I think you're onto something. I, I don't think it's necessarily tricking the brain into thinking something's there. I think it is bringing it to the same level that these these presences, the phenomena, mm-hmm. you know, are, are naturally on. Right. You yeah. Know? And, and this is kind of where I look at, uh, you know, I, I, I look at people like Robert Short last month, mm-hmm. you know, and they have this kind of like, for whatever reason, they, they somehow naturally get on to that frequency. Mm-hmm. And boom, they've got contact. Now, here we are, decades and decades later, surrounded by so much more technology. Uh-huh. And I think that kind of disconnects us from kind of this, this more natural experience. Not to say that in the 40s and 50s, there wasn't distraction. Mm. There totally was. But I'd say not like there is today. Yeah, it's like the God helmet is almost like a pair of eyeglasses, but that's helping us perceive but it's like eyeglasses for the third eye sort of yeah, yes yeah yes i i actually kind of like that third eye glasses third eye yes yeah there exactly. you go there you go there you i think we've got all, our alternate title for this month <laughs> nice um but yeah i i think i think that is kind of how this works is that it allows um it allows us to reach that frequency mm. and and you know make that kind of contact because the i mean the the live streams and this this again you know folks i will always recommend if you are in a position to spend as little as 15 bucks a month i would say become a supporter of the museum on patreon and get into their facebook group because the live streams that they do Mm. the times where they use the god helmet to uh you know investigate uh it's always really really fascinating Hmm. it's really interesting to watch um and and the more that i watch it the more that i'm i'm convinced of kind of like okay this is this is how this tool can be used Hmm. this is what this tool can do Uh um but at the same time i think that also part of the equation comes down to the user Uh uh you know in the same way and this is going to be a weird comparison you know some people take lsd and they have just a wild trip and they see cool things and they have you know epiphanies and other people take it and it they just have a bad trip Mm-hmm. And I and I think some of that comes down to intention. Some of that comes down to you know uh, just that person's vibe, as it were. Mm. So I th- I think there are people who can very naturally tune into this, and I think there are people who may uh, put this on and and maybe not have either much of an experience or have a bad experience. Mm. You know, I think that's certainly possible. Right. Um, so anyway, the next item that I'd like to talk about. Okay. Um, is similar to the SB7 in some ways. Okay. Pardon me. Needed to wet the whistle there. Um, but it's called the Frank's Box. Mm. Um, these are, um, these were all basically, um, devices made by a man named Frank Sumption. Okay. He's no longer with us. Um, but he, from what I understand, uh, 
he kind of had his own experience where <clears throat> some sort of entity i've seen it in some articles referred to as you know um ghost basically gave him the idea to design a communication device mm. i i've i've heard in other interviews that it was alien mm -hmm. um so whichever it was we'll just say it's the phenomena okay um because you know it's it's really it could be either it could be both why not um but uh around about 2002 about 20 years ago he built his first uh frank's box okay uh designed to capture evps the same way in a sense that the sb7 uh gets it so it allows um a a um and it's really fascinating. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm caught up in this because my day-to-day -day job is working on data sheets for a semiconductor company. Okay. So I kind of, I kind of understand a little bit of the electrical science okay. behind this. This isn't just a straight, I'm going to sweep the AM or FM band. Um, uh, his earliest uh, devices, um, they started off with a standard white noise generator okay. that's then fed through what's called a random voltage circuit okay. of Frank's own design. So there's a bit of electrical engineering involved in this. Um, so the random voltage is linked to, let's just say, an AM radio receiver that reacts to the voltage by tuning to a specific spot on the radio dial, right? This is voltage tuning. Um, and it's a common function of late 80s and early 90s radio receivers. So to explain that in slightly more layman's terms, if you were to lay out all the frequencies on the AM band, right? Each one would have a different corresponding voltage, Okay. right? So let's say, um, let's say I'm, I'm putting in 3.3 volts. Okay. And 3.3 volts uh, would tune me to 810 AM on the radio, mm -hmm. right? But if I, it's, you know, if it's then it's 3.4, it moves up to 820. Okay. And so on and so forth, just to give that idea. Um, so a random voltage circuit, that voltage is continually fluctuating. Okay. So it's going up and down the band. It may even be jumping around the band, for all I know, and giving you just little snippets, mm -hmm. right? So much, much the way that you've got the of a spirit box, mm -hmm. you're getting little clips and snips of radio stations. Mm -hmm. um, newer versions of the box, and he he ultimately made, I think, almost a hundred boxes. Okay. Um, would simply tune back and forth in kind of like the sweep method that mm -hmm. we're familiar with with the SB7. Um, at first, he believed that the random voltage design is what allowed it to work, but after using the sweep method, uh, he since changed his mind and seemed to uh, feel like this did a better job. Mm. Now, what's interesting is Frank actually put his plans out on the internet. Mm -hmm. So anybody who wants to can make their own, mm -hmm. but the people who have made their own, from what I hear... Yeah. They don't thank you, dishwasher. Dishwasher's done. <laughs> um, we're just all sorts of sounds tonight. You yeah. know, if you if you randomly hear other voices, <laughs> let us know. But it might just be somebody in the next room talking. The, the dishwasher is communicating with us apparently. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I am. It's. I wonder if I could reprogram the dishwasher to do the sounds from Close Encounters. Anyway, <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, the people who've kind of made their own mm -hmm. Frank's boxes from the plans, they don't 
actually kind of quite behave the same way mm. that the ones that Frank has made himself. So, so the ones he homemade himself had kind of an extra special oomph to them. Kind of, okay. even though, even though you know, you can use all the same circuits, all the same brand capacitors and resistors and everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's almost like there was something extra special about Frank. Well, I got to tell you, there's something extra special about this part of our show because when I was doing research for tonight's show, this eventually became, this one segment became probably my the most entertaining one for me to research first. Okay. Because he sounded like quite a character. Yes. And there's, you know, so many interesting things. I saw there was one article that claimed that um, Frank provided his boxes to, quote, instrumental transcommunication researchers who yes. will make good use of them. And here's here's the kicker. Strange as it sounds, the boxes themselves typically dictate to Frank who it should go to by calling out a researcher's name that is known to Frank. I mean, wow, that's... And I found his... He actually had a website that I viewed via the Internet Archive's Wayback Machine. Yeah, we can toss a link to that in the show notes, too, of course. And I, I, I don't remember the URL off the top of my head, but it was something like Purple Space Princess or something. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I started thinking it. I, oh. I, I was like, why is it called Purple Space Princess? And there was something I read somewhere that apparently Frank listened to an entity through one of his boxes that said that Frank himself was uh, a purple princess from outer space or something yes. like this. And yes. I was just like, man, this is like the greatest thing ever. This is so entertaining. I love it. Yeah. No, the story really is wild. And yeah. there, there is, there is a book I, and I'll put it in the show notes. I, I want to get a copy of it because I've, I've heard good things and I'm curious about it. And it's called thinking outside the box, mm. oddly enough by Frank Sumption. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I'll toss a link to that in the show notes. If you're interested in reading it, um, this is really interesting because, because toward the end of filming of season two of Hellier, um, uh, Greg and Dana had someone loan them a Frank's box. And it is number 54, 51, something like this. So one that he made himself? Yes. Okay, okay. Yes, this is this is one of the ones. Um, you know, it's, it's getting your hands on an actual one is, you know, highly unlikely. Most of the people who have been given these... Um, you know, still have them. Um, mm-hmm. If one were to turn up on eBay, it would be an exorbitant amount. Mm. Um, you know, this is this is one of those things where it's, you know, it, like in a situation like this, they they were lucky to get in touch with somebody who was like, yeah, you can totally borrow mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they they use it in uh, season two, right? And we'll mm-hmm. talk about that in what three months time (laughs) but um they also had a number of live streams for museum members Mm -hmm. where they would experiment with it um and it it's really really interesting to listen to the model the the model like there were specific models the one that they had Mm. um there was a, a toggle switch where it would switch from uh pumping the sound into the headphone jack into just a speaker mm. so and and it's one of those things where you know they were even told you gotta let it warm up a little bit okay you know it makes you almost think it's got vacuum tubes in it or something mm. um but you know you you could sit there and listen to this thing kind of warm up and and you can hear the sweep rate change mm. which is weird because 
you know, your SB7s, your other uh, methods like that, the, your shack hacks and stuff, it's got a very fixed rate. Okay. Boom, 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 boom. This one we'd be like boom 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 and it and it was and it was something that like everybody who was kind of you know participating in these live streams was like that is bizarre you know because we're so used to something like an SB seven and it's it's one of those things where some of them especially if you look at the schematics it 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 shouldn't do that it shouldn't fluctuate and yet it does um and at one point and this 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 thing that uh dana said in a live stream always well well, sticks out to me is that kind of comparing you know doing an estes method with a frank's box compared to an sb7 um and basically said that you know the sb7 feels like what you're tapping into has like a filter Mm. or a limiter on it like it's almost i don't want to say sanitized i don't think that's the right word Mm -hmm. but it's like you know it's safe right we're we're at this nice steady rate and and then and then she compares like doing a session on the frank's box it's like it's a lot stronger it's a more raw experience like you you tapped in hard Mm. uh when 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 the frank's box it's 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 almost like you're you're like the difference between like um like a garden hose and a fire hose Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh with the frank spots being more the fire hose right right you know um it's 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 almost like you know uh you kind of pull yourself into the sb7 but the frank's box pulls you Hmm. into the stream as it were um and actually we've got about 90 seconds i found it's just a quick little clip somebody put a clip of just what uh box number 13 Hmm. sounds like um i will throw the 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 link to it in the show notes because uh once you hear this it helps to see that the person doing the recording you'll hear the sweep rate change Uh uh-huh uh, and there's only a couple of times that the person actually touches the box in any sort of way. And that's just to kind of like maybe like tweak a modulation mm. uh, to to the audio. But there's there's doesn't touch like, hey, let's dial the sweep rate to this. Let's, you know, change this uh, other setting. Uh-huh. So it's it's worth kind of being able to watch it kind of do its thing. And someone's, you know, interacting like very minimally with it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So anyway, I'm 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 prefacing too much. Let's go ahead and give this a listen.
Isn't that weird? Wow, yeah. Huh. I know, I know, I know. I, 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 I'm so fascinated by... Mm. That's why I want to get this book and read it, because the, not only is Frank's story really weird, mm. you know, but just part of me is a little interested by the whole electrical engineering side of things. Like, okay, what, what really is causing that? Because, like, I feel like I could get the parts and with a little bit of help because i'm no electrician by any means mm. you know build one yeah but then where what is what is that 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 difference between okay his the one that he built is behaving this way and here's this exact copy that i've built with my hand it's a secret sauce it, we, that's yeah. right that's right frank's frank's secret sauce you know i've, I've never seen a photo of frank sumption but just automatically the picture in my head is of TV's Frank from Mystery Science Theater 3000, ah. the television show. <laughs> yeah, Frank Conniff. Yeah, so I, I, at this point, I never actually want to ever see a photo of Frank Sumption because it would ruin that image in my head. Um, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I read that, that he was first inspired to even get started with all of this by an article from 1995 from an issue of Popular Electronics Magazine. Yes. And um, I managed to find uh, a scan of it online. It, it's a really short but interesting article with some schematics of different equipment people could build if they wanted mm -hmm. to experiment with this phenomenon. But it actually had a, a little bit of history. And um, really quickly, I just want to mention this little clip of the article because it's something that I never knew before. What's that? Um, but apparently um, this whole phenomenon of humans allegedly communicating with disembodied entities through via electronic technology if this is correct can be traced to a specific time and place where it all began um which was a summer day in 1959 um and there was a producer of documentaries by the name of friedrich jurgensen okay in sweden who actually had a audio tape recorder and he went out into the countryside to record some birds singing when he played his tape back however jurgensen found out that the chirping birds on his tape were accompanied by a mysterious commentator speaking in of all things norwegian hmm <clears throat> who had much to say on the subject of birdsong. Jurgensen was instantly fascinated and checked to see what radio program programs were broadcasting in his vicinity at the time, just in case his recorder was somehow picking up radio signals. His search came up empty. He could find no program having to do with birdsong that was broadcast at the appropriate time. Faced with a mystery, Jurgensen started holding open-air taping sessions in hope of catching more phantom voices on tape. He was successful on many occasions and published his results in Sweden, claiming that not only was he getting messages from voices that called him by name, but from those that claimed to be deceased individuals that he knew or was related to. With those claims, an absolute obsession filled many in Europe who immediately started holding taping sessions. Interesting. Yeah, so that was, yeah. that was, that was pretty interesting. <clears throat> so are, are we saying that that was like the first, basically, EVP was 1959? Well, I mean, I guess in the sense that it was something that was recorded on a fixed medium that could be played back. Right. Yeah, yes. I, I think I, I, that at least that's the earliest documented one that I could find reference to, you know. Fair point, fair point. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of interesting. That is kind of interesting. Wow. Yeah. Well, in terms of, you know, things and objects and tools that we will see in the coming months as we kind of talk on our road to Hellier, that's covered it. But Seb, this, this topic also kind of sent you down. Oh, yeah another path so why don't i turn the floor over to you yeah 
and, um, and talk to me about this. Yeah, you know, this was this is the the part of the show that I kind of threw myself into a little bit. It's, it de- it doesn't relate to any form of technology or phenomenon that that occurred in any of the episodes of Hell Year that we're going to talk about over the coming months. But um, it's a it's a small subsection of the paranormal that I've always been had a little fascination for, and it seems kind of appropriate to tonight's topic. Um, and for <clears throat> for better or worse, I'm I'm calling it phone calls from the dead. <laughs> because, you know, as we've seen here, you know, tonight there's been a number of attempts and different devices developed whereby humans can try to contact disembodied entities. But it appears that there are on occasion instances where maybe if, if one is to believe the reports, the disembodied entities actually take the initiative and try to contact us via technology rather than vice versa, which is kind of interesting. Um, there's only been... A handful of um, books written on the subject, um, but in many instances, some of the accounts have certain patterns. Um, sometimes people will receive phone calls um, and they will hear breathing or static on the line or a metallic or distant sounding voice. Um, sometimes, and usually it's, you know, phone calls allegedly from people who had, have, have passed away, really. Um, sometimes the calls uh, occur on the phone of a friend or a relative rather than on one owns phone. Um, sometimes uh, voice messages are left directly without ha- a call having been made. To the device. Sometimes the message uh, is an offer of reassurance or the delivery of a warning. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the phone calls occur with some sort of coincidence or synchronicity. For instance, receiving the phone call on the anniversary or the exact clock time of a person's death. Right. I've heard um, of examples of that. Sometimes the, the, the person speaking on the other end of the line uses certain phrases or other features making a clear identification with the deceit um and 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 it's really interesting one of the most recent uh publications on this topic was in 2018 there was a french sociologist named laurent kasperowitz and he wrote a book book i'm not going to try to butcher the french title but it roughly translates as (laughs) phone calls from the beyond question mark um and 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 this gentleman this author makes a really interesting point. He suggests that this phenomenon might be related to what we've talked about on occasion, the trickster archetype. Yes. He goes in to talk about um, uh, the psychologist Carl Jung and how he wrote of an appeal to the trickster archetype as a potential explanation for poltergeist phenomenon. Um, There was a sociologist named George Hansen who explored the relationship between trickster and psi phenomenon. And um, Kasperowitz mentions that the trickster may use the... uh, It's interesting. He might use the absurd as a form of protection as a way of covering his tracks or its tracks. Mm -hmm. Um, As Kasperowitz points out, more than one voice recorded uh recording uh there was one time when a message from a dead deceased person was recorded um as a like a voicemail and it spontaneously erased itself now this is something that you know from one point of view greatly contributed to the skepticism surrounding this whole phenomenon Mm -hmm. but he actually suggested that um this might be precisely the trickster's goal to elude public investigation and um, while none- nonetheless, nevertheless conveying important private truths to those who come into contact with the phenomenon. He writes, quote, 
It could even it could be that even when the trickster is at work, for example, the phenomenon is telling the truth. That is telling us that our deceased loved ones do live on, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, and that's interesting because I have George Hansen's book, The Trickster. Oh, really? Uh, and the pair. Uh, yeah, and I feel like I'm butchering the title. I want to say it's the the wait, Trickster and the Paranormal. Oh man, I don't know. It's it is an interesting book. The um the 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 thing that gets me though is it's like I mean it's it's you know. It's, it's, I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, Trickster and the Paranormal. Sorry. Trick, oh, ahead. okay. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's conceivable from a, from a skeptical, skeptical point of view that, that a person could um, discount some of these accounts of phone calls from a deceased person or otherwise from a disembodied entity, especially if, as we've seen, there are, are accounts that voicemails are auto deleting themselves, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But the really interesting thing, I think, personally, comes from uh, a development within technology over the past decades where we've seen um, things like caller ID. And there are a number of accounts which are fascinating and creepy at the same time where this phenomenon occurs um, with mass casualty events. And it, it, it becomes something that becomes newsworthy because the people who are receiving these messages are under the assumption that, okay... My loved one is trapped somewhere and is trying to reach me by their cell phone or otherwise a phone device. So we have to direct the first responders there. So, for instance, um, in uh, on June 24th, 2021, um, there was something called the condominium collapse in Surfside, Florida. And right, I remember that. Right. It was not too long ago. It was um, a 12-story beachfront condominium in a Miami suburb that co- partially collapsed and 98 people tragically died. Um, there was a fascinating article in the Washington Post dated June 29, 2021. Um, and two of the victims, uh, husband and wife Miriam and Arnie Notkin, um, they um, tragically died, but... Um, their family members received several phone calls from the Notkins landline in this collapsed condo after the tragedy. Um, the first call came from the couple's landline nearly 24 hours after the building collapse. Um, and there was no voice on the other end. It was only static. But the caller ID the, the, the definitively identified it as coming from their grandpa, grandparent, grandparents' condominium. Hmm. Um, the calls kept... Uh, it says the family largely wrote off the strange call, but the calls kept coming one after another to the same phone until more than a dozen had accumulated through early Monday. Sometimes when the family called the landline themselves, the phone somehow answered and they would stay on the line and listen to the static. Other times the calls went to a busy signal. Five days after the first call, the cause remains a mystery. Two experts in telecommunication engineering said the calls may stem from an electrical glitch or a piece of debris hitting the phone or someone live, alive in the rubble could be dialing the signal for help. A former Miami-Dade County fire chief involved in the rescue effort said first responders had searched the site where they believed the Notkins apartment had fallen and found no signs of life. Yeah. It goes on to say Ted Rappaport, an electrical engineer, electrical engineering professor at New York University, specializes in telecommunication, said the phenomena described as real but only happens in cell phones, not with landlines. Hmm. Similarly, there was an article um, put out by KTLA News in Los Angeles, September 17th, 2008. 
This was a little older, but it relates to another mass casualty event. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah, this was the Chatsworth, Chatsworth train collision. It was mm -hmm. a, a collision on uh, September 12, 2008, when a Union Pacific freight train and a Metrolink commuter train collided head-on. Um, tragically, there were 25 deaths, 135 injuries, and also, it's, it's really sad, um, the NTSB determined that the train's engineer was actually texting at the time, which uh, led to the dis distraction, which tragically caused the accident. Um, but anyway, here's, the, here's this crazy news story. One local family whose loved one died in the Metrolink collision is still questioning something that happened that night. They got several phone calls from 49-year-old Chuck Peck after the crash, but they now know he died on impact. As firefighters worked to rescue survivors, family members said Peck's cell phone kept calling his son, his brother, his stepmother, his sister, and his fiancée. When they answered, all they heard was static, and when the family members called back, the calls went straight to voicemail. In all, family members say they received about 35 calls from Peck's cell phone throughout the night. Nearly five, after, five hours after the crash, they received a phone call. We were yelling into the phone, hang in there, baby, we're going to get you out. You're going to be okay, said the family member. When the rescue efforts turned to recovery, there was another call, which prompted search crews to trace it. They realized it was coming from the first train, so they went there went back one last time quote and they were so excited that they had this incredible adrenaline rush at the thought they could possibly go and find another survivor um, when they actually found his body they determined that he actually had died immediately upon impact and there was no way he could have been calling us the calls stopped about 3.28 a.m., about an hour before Peck's body was found. Katz said the phone calls helped the family get through the night. Um, and the weird part is they never found his phone in all of the records. Um, hmm. So the thing that gets me is it's like, okay, if this, you know, let's say that these are, let's, let's, let's suppose that, you know, our consciousness does survive our biological death. And let's suppose in some instances, for whatever reason, we try to communicate with our loved ones via, you know, telephonically. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I wonder is, okay, let's say for somehow that's like a really difficult thing to do. So it doesn't happen often, you know, but if we do, if we do try it from the other side, maybe sometimes all that gets through is static. My question is, okay, these days we have caller IDs, so we're able to tell where the call came from. What about all those decades before caller ID existed and people, you know, picked up the phone when it rang and they only heard static and had no way to think that it was from a disembodied entity maybe all there were maybe there were tons of these phenomena that nobody knew about because there was wasn't the technology to immediately show you know where the call was i don't know no i think that, i think that's a good point but I, and and even then i also you know i look at stuff like you know like when we have contactees getting messages through say ham radio right right you know again we've got a device that is in that kind of radio frequency again there's there's static at work um i look at the fact that you know we kind of like talked about um you know the the phenomena kind of using the idea of a giant switchboard mm -hmm, mm -hmm. again phone right you know we kind of have this this overarching uh communication archetype Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at work and and i i absolutely like going back to what you were saying about you know the phenomena wanting to elude uh like detection and systemization and everything um you know go back to our men in black episode mm -hmm. you know where it's like a thing happened and then instantly something is there trying to discredit it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know um, a truth is shown 
and then something a representative of you know whatever mm. is there going oh no you didn't see what you thought you saw mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's like it's it's really fascinating to kind of see some of these through lines over like almost the past year worth of episodes yeah of stuff that we've been talking about um so it's all very fascinating a lot of a lot of food for thought uh this month really quickly as we start to wind down here i want to talk about some of the cypher hits yeah uh for people places things in this tale i'm just gonna hit the high points because uh we're already at an hour and a half and i'm sure you know people want to get through this and get on to our our next episode here um first one uh i threw estes method in the cipher and just about fell off my chair it equals 171 and the biggest hit for that deep trance oh no way yes oh wow and I, I don't I don't take this in the like '90s rave house <laughs> music. Although I mean, don't get me wrong, I love it, I love it. But Estes Method equaling Deep Trance is uh, that's a big hit. Mm. That is a big hit. Um, not only that, but also surpass the stars. Mm. Wow. That kind of idea of like you know reaching out. Uh, kind of beyond all of that. Um, I found it interesting that uh, Stanley Corrin equals 153, which also equals consciousness. Oh, wow. Uh, that that was kind of a weird one. Um, and uh, Frank Sumption equals 191, which also equals let them speak, mm-hmm. which I thought was like, oh, that's a really interesting one. Mm. That is a really, really yeah. interesting one. Yeah. Um, but every month, Seb is going to dig into the old-timey newspaper archives as though he wasn't just <laughs> reading us some newspaper tales. Seb, you could have said, oh, those are mine. That's our Descent of the Archives, 2008. Right, old, right. Old-timey 2008. Oh, no. Uh, to un- no, you've got a story of high strangeness this month. I, man. What, I, do you, what do you got? I do. Well, I first have to apologize to you and to our listeners because it's that time of night when the State Fairgrounds releases all their fireworks. So let me get through this oh, as, quick, as quickly nice. as I can. This is an article from the San Pedro News Pilot newspaper dated March 27th, 1947. London psychic researcher predicts phone calls to the dead. Oh. The day may be near, a leading psychic researcher said today, when you can pick up a telephone and call the dead in the spirit world. The spirits of Alexander Graham Bell and Guillermo Marconi have been telling him now, said John J. Williamson. Williamson, who gets his information through living mediums now, says Bell and Marconi seem tremendously excited about the idea and have poured across some 100,000 words of technical data. They first told him and his research associates to use atom-smashing machinery for mechanical communication with the other world, he said. Whoa. But the cost seems prohibitive. A cyclotron, even secondhand, <laughs> costs many, many thousands of pounds. So Williamson began research at the Society's Research Center, a big hotel-like building in Sussex, and developed what he called far simpler mechanical methods. Quote, if we, concede in, if we can succeed in perfecting the simpler methods, he said, there's no reason why anyone cannot have a spirit telephone costing more than five pounds or about $20. So there you go. Apparently the spirits of... Great telecommunication inventors and pioneers are trying to communicate from the other side how we can build machines to talk to them, which is yes. very, very nice of them. And and basically all we need is a giant proton pack. Apparently so. That's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was kind of struck 
that in 1947, not only could you, uh, the idea of a second-hand cyclotron in 1947 is, is, a, is, a, is kind of a stretch to me, in my mind at least. But No kidding. I mean, that's just two years after the bomb was developed. I know. Now, huh. Anyway, wow. That is an interesting one indeed. I like that. We've got a whole theme running through this episode. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, Seb, our, our, our road to hell here has nearly reached mm-hmm. its end point. We're, we're just about there. Is there anything from this episode or, or from this journey that, that you want to impart before we wrap up and, and really get ready to dig into the meat and potatoes and hopefully some dessert because now I'm hungry. Great. Uh, <laughs> of this whole matter. I just, I really, you know, thank you for turning me on to Hellier. I want to thank our listeners for um, keeping with us as they learn more about um, the journey to get to the city limits of this amazing little town, which is kind of a metaphor for just all of the mystery of life in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just really excited to actually jump into the, the topic at hand in our next month's episode. Sounds good. And we will be doing that soon. But right now, that's it for this month. I want to thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day and maybe is even there in your pocket waiting for a butt dial. Uh, if you have an experience you want to share with us, if you've got a questions, feel free to email us at allnightgeeks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at All Night Geeks. You can follow me on Twitter at BusBuddha71. And you can follow Seb at Clan McMuffin. Oh, that's right. Now, see, that's just adding to, like, the I'm hungry for something. Uh, hey, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. Be sure to rate and review us as well. And just as importantly, share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around. And we would appreciate it if you tell at least one friend about the podcast. Want to give big thanks to the Ghoulies for letting us use Hot Rods from Outer Space from the album Midnight in America as our intro and outro music. Please give them a follow on social media and hit up the ghouliesdenver.bandcamp.com to buy their music. If you want to buy something else, we've got merch. That's over at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G. That's right. We got shirts. We got buttons. We got stickers. Heck, we got hoodies, although I don't know why you'd want one in this weather. Save that for winter. Mm-hmm. Go check that out. Thanks, as always, to Kate the Steam-Powered Mouse for doing the show's artwork. Obviously... We are still in a pandemic and, you know, climate change and monkeypox and everything else. I don't know what to tell you. It's help. It's important to help out local artists and businesses. Please, by all means, support them first. Keep them going. But if you want to throw us a few bones, you can do that over at patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G. That is it for us this month. We will catch you next month. My birthday month. <laughs> and in the meantime... Get out and go find something weird. Good night. Tin can. That's a tin can. Tin can. It's an old tin can. Tin can. Tin can. I just sound like a tin can.